0: Listening to Historical Fiction Unpacked, where we discuss the pull of the past every week. I'm your host, Allison Treat. I'm an author of historical fiction and a freelance editor. Welcome to my show. Hello, historical fiction lovers. I have a treat for you today. I will be speaking with Misu Andrews, who is the Christie award-winning author of Isaiah's Daughter. She's received accolades for her other novels, including Of Fire and Lions and Love Amid the Ashes. I first heard of Misu Andrews at the 2018 Christie Awards, where I was sitting at the table with my friend Kathy Ide, and she picked up Misu's book, Isaiah's Daughter, and said, I've heard so much about this author. I want to get her to speak at the SoCal Christian Writers Conference. Um, Now, I had the pleasure of attending that conference in June of 2019, and I heard Misu speak. She was the keynote speaker, and she was wonderful. So I was so excited when she agreed to come on the program today. Misu is actually known for writing biblical fiction, which is a subgenre of historical fiction, but it's just ancient history. Um, We get into that a little bit today. So I'll get right to the conversation because it's a little bit of a long one this week, but it's worth it. Hope you enjoy. Misu Andrews, welcome to Historical Fiction Unpacked. Thank you, Allison. Good to be here. Your latest book, I believe, is it your 10th book? It is. Yes. Yes. 10th. Um, it's Isaiah's Legacy, and it released in February 2020. That's right. I just Yeah, I've just finished reading it. I stayed up a little late last night to finish it. Ah. I, lo- I loved it so much. Oh, good. Um, yeah. But I want to hear it straight from the author. So
1: can you tell me about this book? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, it is actually a sequel. It's the first sequel I've ever written. Um, oh. And so it's a sequel to Isaiah's Daughter, but you can read it as a standalone, I think. Uh, d- did you know what you were reading? I mean, was it an okay thing to just... Yes. Okay, good. Um, I, I wrote it that a standalone. way. Okay, okay good. good. Yeah. Um, but it, it it actually continues the story of Hephzibah, and um, we call her Zeba in the story just because I feel really sorry for my reader's that have to deal with all of those big long biblical names, so I, I try right. to give those big long names um, easy nicknames so y'all can can read those a little easier. And so uh, continues Zeba's story. She's actually kind of a minor character in the book, but um, the the main characters are King Manasseh, who is the wickedest king in Judah, and uh, he is her son, and then his Soon to be wife, uh, we we meet her as a eight year old in the beginning. Uh, her right. name is Meshulameth, and we call her Shul because who wants to read Meshulameth through the whole thing? Um, right. And so Shul becomes his queen, and that's you know that's in the Bible, so it's not too much of a spoiler. And um, kind of the the interesting thing about um, Manasseh. The fact that he was the most wicked or wickedest king in Judah, I, I I always wondered how that could happen because his parents were the greatest people in the world. Yeah. I mean, Hezekiah was the most righteous king in right. Judah, and um, Hephzibah has always been my my favorite character in the Old Testament. I mean, how crazy is that? She's this obscure person that's mentioned twice in the Old Testament, <sighs> right? But um I, I've always been fascinated by her because here she's married to the, the the wisest the most righteous king and then she her son is this awful terrible wickedest king that God says in Jeremiah he's he's the reason for the exile right um, yeah so I, I've been fascinated by her and especially when I had um, older children and I, they were prodigals and they went astray. And I'm oh, like, yes. seriously, I, how did she do it? <laughs> how did she do this? And um, yeah, so I, I've been fascinated by her. So Isaiah's daughter was the first book and it was all about Hephzibah. Um, mm-hmm. And her name means um, God's delight is in her. And I oh, I love that name, um, and don't we all beautiful, I, right? Don't we all yes. want that name when we get to heaven? Please, Lord, I want that name. Um, right. And so, yeah, the the her story was just too big to do in one book, so so we did it in two.
0: So that's interesting because I was thinking there were three books in that series. Um, there,
1: there are three books in the Kings and Prophets series. Um, the other book is of fire and lions and it is about Daniel and yeah, yeah. And it kind of came in between the two books actually. And I have to tell you this funny story because, um, my editor, after we got done with, um, Isaiah's daughter, she said, Oh my goodness. Oh, I know what's coming with Manasseh, and I know oh, it's going to be a really hard book. And she said, "I just, I need, I, I need a little bit of a happy storyline." And I'm like, okay. "You know, I, I do Old Testament, and there's just not a lot of happy storylines." <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: and she says, "Can't we do something like I don't know?" And she says, "Hooky," and I'm like, "Hooky." What's hooky? And she, because she knows something that everybody loves and like a a fun children's story. And I'm like, I write biblical fiction. What (laughs) in the world are you talking about? And so we kind of laughed over it. And and I said, Well, what about Daniel? Everybody likes Daniel. And she's like, Oh, I love Daniel. And I'm like, Okay, that's great. But, you know, he he could have been a eunuch. So how in the world am I going to do a romance with a eunuch? And so then I did Uh. some more research. And found out that the Hebrew word used for eunuch in in scripture was also used to describe Potiphar in Genesis. And oh. it's translated as high official. So I'm figuring now Potiphar had a wife, so I'm figuring, you know, our traditional understanding of eunuch was probably not the case if he had a wife. Right. So Daniel all of a sudden became, you know, the most eligible bachelor in the Old Testament. And and so I gave Daniel a wife. And so he, uh, yeah, he, he, he got a fictional wife in of Fire and Lions okay. and off we went with that story. And so that's why there are three. And I'm guessing we'll add to that series at some point. Um, the new okay, contract. Good. Yeah, the new contract that's coming is not going to add to that series. I think we'll I think we will add to that series at some point. So
0: Okay. It's kind of fun. Okay. Because most of my listeners are historical fiction fans and yeah. maybe some of them aren't familiar with biblical fiction, I thought uh-huh. maybe you could give just kind of an idea of this what exactly biblical fiction is. It's a subgenre of historical it is. fiction, but, but mm-hmm. you give your definition for it.
1: Okay. Okay. Sure. Um, th- there are, And even within biblical fiction, there are different kinds of biblical fiction. So mm-hmm. the stories that I write, I, I like to write about the obscure uh, characters that maybe mm-hmm. are mentioned once or twice in scripture. So for instance, Hephzibah Um, Job's wife, I wrote about her, um, the shepherdess in the song of Solomon, nobody knows who that is. So I did a lot of research and I, I don't know if I got that right, but I took a stab at it. Um, so I like to go in and, and do a lot of research in the Jewish texts, the rabbinic literature, that kind of thing. And, and, and draw from that who, who some of these obscure characters may be. Most of um, today's biblical fiction authors in the Christian market do. We make sure that the Bible is our foundation. That is capital T truth. And right. that we will not change. That we will not um, twist or bend to make it a better story. The, the biblical right. truth stands firm. And so then with that as our foundation, we do a whole lot of research. And I mean, a lot of research. And those research facts uh, little f fact <laughs> yes. um, because when we're doing all of that ancient research, we get a lot of of scholars and a lot of experts that have varying opinions, and so when we get all of these differing opinions, we have to do wide, wide readings so that we can find some sort of golden thread in there of agreement that we can use as building blocks on top of that foundation of biblical truth. Mm -hmm. And so we we take the building blocks that seem to agree, and and we place those on that foundation of truth, and then that's when we begin to form a storyline with creative fiction, and then that creative fiction creates the the mold or the the mortar that then filters down and pulls all of those building blocks together on that foundation, and and that's what creates our story. So we've got right. that foundation of truth that we never change. That scripture that that has to stand mm-hmm. firm, and then we we kind of fit those building blocks and creative fiction so that it forms a seamless story that hopefully readers when you're reading you may not know what's truth, what's historical fact or what's fiction and the reason that we do that is because we want readers to go to their bibles to see what's truth. Yes. That's,
0: and I that's I did purpose. that. Me too after <laughs> Good. That's the I, purpose. And, right. And that's actually I just I loved that about this book. Good that that biblical truth was there, mhm, but you um just the the fictionalization did not take anything away from good what we knew was true
1: good from the bible good you know? so yeah that's I my hope that. that's my hope always that's i i never i i didn't start out as a fiction writer, I started out writing a Bible study on the song of solomon that was that was the oh. reason I started writing. And um, you know, scripture has always been my first love, and um mm-hmm. when when I was told by an editor um, I would not publish a Bible study on the Song of Solomon if Billy Graham wrote it um what and- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he says, and I'm certainly not going to publish it by a little pastor's wife from Indiana. So I'm like, oh, okay. Thank you. Anyway. So off I went and, you know, shoved that thing in the drawer for three years. Aww. So, um, it, it was, um, my best friend that looked at me and said, listen, I, you need to start writing this stuff in fiction because, they'll publish you in fiction and they just won't do it. And, you know, because you just don't have an audience for nonfiction. And, Mm. and so I started trying to learn how to write fiction and I'm still trying to learn how to write fiction because (laughs) I I don't think, yeah, I don't think we ever get done learning. It's still such, you know, it's, it's something that the Lord just continues to teach us. But, um, that's my goal is to, is to get people to their Bibles. I, I don't want this to be read instead of, this is just to supplement, right. you know, it's, it's to help people get deeper into the word so that they can study it themselves.
0: Okay. Um. Yeah. And it is, I mean, it felt like a fictional story that drew you in, but it also felt like a Bible study in a, in a very, and I mean that in the most positive way possible. So.
1: Great. And there is there anytime I do, anytime I write one of these full length novels, there is always a Bible study written to go with it. Mm. Um, And it's a free download on my website, on the books page. And um, with the last Three books. Um, there is also a U version um, seven day devotional study.
0: Oh wow, great. that's
1: uh, free. So yeah, p- folks can find it on U version by just usually just by searching the right.
0: U version. Let me just explain for our listeners. Yeah, go ahead. Is is an app mm-hmm. that's really great for Bible reading or Bible study. It has mm-hmm. various Bible studies. In
1: yeah, it. I think it's Ooh, called the cool. Bible app. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah. What made you start? I
0: mean, you said you you've always loved Hephzibah. Am I saying her name correctly?
1: Hephzibah or Hephzibah. Yeah, yep. I, I want to say Hephzibah because you. We can say Zeba. That would Hephzibah. just make it so much easier. Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um,
1: <laughs> so it was. Was
0: it her character? Um, was she your inspiration for this mm-hmm. whole for this whole series? Or yes, um, yeah,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. She's mentioned twice in scripture, and. Um, The first time is just, she's mentioned as Manasseh's mother. Um, Mm -hmm. The second time she's mentioned is in Isaiah 62. And she's, Isaiah uses her name as a representation of the new Jerusalem. And um, just the glory of who she is. And which then when I started doing that research and found in the rabbinic literature that she may have been his daughter. I, I just thought, oh, how, how sweet and tender mm-hmm. that a father would use his daughter in that imagery. Um and and it being a, a direct utterance of a prophet. So that in essence was God through Isaiah allowing him to use his daughter in that right. way and just how sweet and tender that was. And so I loved that. And mm-hmm. um, and then some of the first um, biblical fiction that I ever read was Lynn Austin's Chronicles of the King series. Um, and it was about um, Ahab, Ahaz um, Hezekiah and Manasseh. It's a five book series oh, wow. that she did way back uh, early two thousands, I believe. And and in her series, Hephzibah was a, an idol worshiper. That and that's another really interesting thing. Let me digress here a little bit. That's another really interesting thing about biblical fiction. You may read one author's take on on a character in scripture and it may be totally different than another author's take. And the reason for that is because there is so little research on some of these obscure characters. And so Lynn is an incredible author. I love everything Mm -hmm. I've read by her. Um, And her biblical fiction is phenomenal. She does amazing research, but the two of us, because this is an obscure character, we can do the same research and come up with very different storylines. And so that's what, that's what we've done. Um, Her, her character has, she came up with a very different storyline than I did. So, um, but it's fun to read it that way, because um, again, the Bible is truth. The historical facts they're up for debate because this right. is ancient, ancient uh, history, and the scholars very much disagree on some of these things. And so that's where the the fiction, the creative fiction, comes in. And as long as we have a seamless story that that pushes people to scripture, that's that's our goal. You had asked me if if Hephzibah was my inspiration. Well, my inspiration was, huh? I don't. I loved Lynn's books, but I have this passion for Hephzibah now mm-hmm. and that, that name, the Lord's delight is in her. I, I wanted to write a Hephzibah character who was worthy of God's delight. And so right. that's why I wanted to write this character this way.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. I, I love Zeba. I loved her through the entire mm-hmm. book. Um, yeah, the main the main character Shul, I I guess I came to love her, right? <laughs> that, like I loved her in the beginning, and that I didn't like her so much in the middle. Yep. But yep. um, you yep. know, and I just I love the relationship between the women, and um, and the redemptive nature of the story. I mean, there were so many dark, difficult mm-hmm. things in the story, and yet it it the redemption in it is just so beautiful and mm, um, good. powerful. Ah, good. Yeah. Um, so I guess you mentioned some of the research you do. Can you explain kind of what texts you, you use besides the Bible or how you go about finding out these things? I mean, there, I don't want to give a spoiler, but there's a part of the book there's a death that I, I didn't remember from the Bible. So I looked it up and saw that there are um myths about how this character mm-hmm. died. Mm-hmm. So um I'm just curious how you go about finding all that and
1: mm-hmm. and using it. Yeah. Our our Christian world <laughs> our Christian world is, is very small. And when we mm-hmm. allow ourselves to get outside of that, um our faith stands up to it. It's right. it's really exciting to see that, um, and I think, um, and, and here's a here's a for instance. So from the very start, when I started writing the Bible study on Song of Solomon, my husband was uh, working on his doctorate in um, at Trinity um, in Deerfield. Illinois close to Chicago okay. yes. and um, so I would travel with him once in a while and and use their library their scholarly library and mm-hmm. so they have texts uh, they have Jewish texts um, and rabbinic literature what I mean by that they have a pseudopigrapha they have uh, there's just a, a there's a lot of Jewish writings that we as Christians we don't Know about or look at because we have our Bibles, and right. you know we just don't we just don't need to look at that. But um, the rabbis have been writing on the law and about the law, but they also write about their history. Um, mm-hmm. The midrash is um, something that's that they hold in esteem, in as high of esteem as the law. And that's a, that's a, a book that they uh, refer to with as much authority as the law. And so I, I look at the Midrash, and it's an oral tradition that that they've written down and that they keep adding to it. Mm. even through the years of history, Mm -hmm. of Jewish history. And um, so, so there are a lot, you know, Josephus is another book. Um, History of the Jews um, is another uh, book that I refer to quite often. Um, I, I read the Jewish study Bible, it's the Tanakh. And it's just like, our old testament very similar to our old testament and then a study bible it has the commentary just like our you know an NIV study bible or an ESV mm-hmm. study it has the commentary at the bottom only this commentary is is from Jewish rabbis where they just write their little notes on each verse you know down at the bottom so i use that and then i would look at uh the scholarly library in Chicago, and and they would have mostly Christian texts and Christian things, but they had some of those Jewish texts too. So I would start looking at those, but not a lot. So mostly I stuck with the Christian documentation and, and archaeological digs and some of those things that they're finding out things. It was fabulous. I mean, and I love research. So this was, I mean, it was like a candy store. It was fantastic. Well, then he started, my husband started teaching at, um, a a university in Portland. And so again, and they had a seminary. And so again, I had access to this wonderful scholarly library and well, he taught out there for about nine, nine years. And then we moved across the country again. And now I don't have access to a Christian scholarly library. What am I going to do? I'm the Lord and I really had to have a conversation about that because I'm like, what am I how am I gonna write? Right. But the little town where we live very nearby has a state university. Mm-hmm. Uh Appalachian State University. It's Boone, North Carolina. And so okay. I'm thinking, well, maybe, you know, maybe they'd let somebody just come and research. So sure enough, for ten dollars. I got a community card. I mean ten dollars for my whole life as long as I live here. Yeah, crazy, right? And by golly, they have a fantastic religion department in this state university.
0: Wow. And
1: their library has amazing resources for for world religions. Now I have gotten better resource, better resources out of that library for what I write because I looked outside the Christian bubble. Mm-hmm. And so, when I'm looking now for Assyrian stuff, Babylonian stuff, um, even even early, early. For Abraham before he left the Chaldean stuff, mm-hmm. um, all of those early, early um, Mesopotamian, ancient, ancient stuff. I'm getting great, great resources out of just a state university library because I'm out of that Christian bubble. Right. And so. That's where I get really the best things is when we move outside of our comfort zone. And now I have to, I have to have a little bit of a, I have to take the chicken off the bone <laughs> and really spit out the bones. Oh um, right,
0: yes. So I'm sure you get all kinds of
1: information yeah, you don't need exactly, exactly. But you know what? Our faith stands up to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't be afraid of that.
0: That's that's so cool. Yeah, the first book in the series, uh, the first book about Zeba, mm-hmm. who is my favorite character in this book, um, it was Isaiah's daughter, and that won a Christie Award. So I want to know what that was like. Were you, were you at the ceremony? Um, and yeah,
1: so. I was totally shocked. <laughs> I I I was yeah, I was totally shocked. And and here's the thing, I and this is going to sound so silly because I've written ten books, I still don't know how to write fiction. <laughs> In my opinion, I, I'm not kidding. I, I still am amazed that people read my books. So I, because I have no formal training, I I go to writers' conferences and I still learn so much from other writers. I love to listen to other writers because mm-hmm. they have such great things to say. And right. I just learn so much from all my friends when they start talking about how they write, I'm like glued to to the, what they, you know, to their little systems and tips mm-hmm. and tricks and I am fascinated by authors because I just I never knew how to write. I, you know, I started at ground zero, and um,
0: yeah. Tell me a little bit about how you got into. right? I know you said you started with Bible studies, but how mm-hmm. long ago was that? Because your first book came out nine years ago. Is that right?
1: Yeah, in eleven, and, mm-hmm.
0: and in twenty eleven. So,
1: mm-hmm. well, how did, I, how did you get to that yeah, point? I I was a a Bible teacher. I loved Scripture. I was a Bible teacher, and I started out in my, you know, local church, and I was teaching adults, you know, three or four times a week, and um, and then I started speaking here and there, and I got some training to speak, and then um, and then in uh, I I had some ladies at the conferences I was doing that said, you know, we love your Song of Solomon presentation. Uh, Cause I would go through the entire book of Song of Solomon and I would tell them the story mm-hmm. and they would be like, this is amazing. We need a book though, because mm-hmm. we it's too much to absorb in just this. So we need a book to take home with us and study this. And I'm like, okay, I'll write it down. So that was why I was even writing it down. And uh, I was such an off the charts extrovert that to sit down and write down something <laughs> was just, ugh, it was torture. It was awful. and But I did it. And so 2001, I went to my first writer's conference and that's where I got the, oh, you've got to be kidding me kind of thing. Right. And so I threw that in a drawer and thought, oh my goodness, forget that. and but then in 2002 i um i got sick and i was in bed for 6 months and so i just there's that extrovert thing you know and yes. i wanted to teach and i was still getting all these wonderful things when i read my bible and i'm like lord i am just going to blow up if i don't have something and some way to teach or to Get this stuff out of me. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that was the first novel I wrote um, was when I was in bed for six months. And I wrote The Song of Solomon as a novel. I changed it over to a novel.
0: And And what um, what was that book called?
1: It's called Love's Sacred Song. Okay. Yeah, it's the second book published. So it was the first book I wrote, but the second book published Mm -hmm. And so, um, but then I put that in the drawer because I, you know, I'd already been, you know, yeah, that was just eh, not ever going to be published. I just did it to have something to do while I was laying there. And um, so I thought, well, I'm at least going to do, maybe I can do devotionals. And so in 2005, I went back to, um, I went to Mount Hermon for the first time. And, Mount Hermon
0: Writers Conference.
1: Yes, uh huh. And I got an agent, and she for three years. You make sweetheart. it sound so
0: easy, Misu. Oh. Got an agent.
1: <laughs> you know what? I mean, t- I'm telling you, go to writers conferences, and I, things are a whole lot easier, right? I mean, that is true. I, that's where I've met. It's hard people. to do in
0: 2020, but.
1: It is a little (laughs) harder in 2020. That's true. Although it's a whole lot cheaper in 2020 Mm because these online ones are 20 bucks. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And you do get to meet people in the zoom chats and you know, so it, in some ways it's harder, but in some ways it's a whole lot easier and you do get direct contact with agents and editors on these zoom chats. So, I mean, yeah, anyway, so got an agent for three years. She tried to sell my devotionals to anybody Mm -hmm. and everybody and absolutely no bites. Um, And so in, in 2008, my, like I said, my best friend was like, you have got to start doing this novel thing and just hit it. And so I went back to Mount Hermon in 2008. I took Gail Roper's fiction mentoring course. There were only 10 Mm -hmm. of us in the class And I'm telling you, when I got that paper, when I got that uh, manuscript back, it looked like somebody had bled all over it. It was like, I didn't, because I didn't even know what POV was. I mean, I didn't know anything about fiction. In case you're
0: not a writer, that's point of view.
1: Yes. And you're only (laughs) supposed to have one point of view in a single chapter. I was like everybody knew what everybody else was thinking and everybody I mean it was <laughs> well, a that's mess.
0: how in the 1800s that's how people wrote with uh,
1: yes I was writing in the 1800s oh, and it okay. was 2008 so there you go <laughs> yeah that that's how it was working for me it was not working basically so okay so here's what I'm thinking I see this this manuscript come back bleeding Mm -hmm. And I have, uh, I have an appointment with an editor in like 10 minutes and she has gotten the same manuscript. And so I'm like breaking out in hives because I'm thinking I'm going to have the same experience that I had in 2001 and I'm ready to throw up. I mean, I'm just like, oh, yoy, yoy. And I, I have a plane ticket. I can't leave for four days. So I'm stuck, you know? And so I go to this appointment and I don't even let and it was Vicki Crumpton from Ravel, who I adore anyway. And mm-hmm. so I sit down across from her and I don't even let her get a word out. I'm like, okay, I know this is terrible. I'm really sorry that you even had to read it. And I, I know it's awful. And I just, it's terrible. And I can't even, I can't even apologize enough. Please forget. And she's like, okay, could you just take a breath? <laughs> and I'm like, I know I'm sorry. Okay, what? And she said, you know, you have some craft issues but I think you can tell a story. And I'm like, really? And she said, yes, if you can fix this, I'd like to see your whole manuscript. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And she said, no, not kidding. And so come to find out, she was actually at that, at that, um, conference looking for biblical fiction. And I was the only one there. And that's three months later, I got a contract. So, a two book contract, in fact. So I fixed it with much help, but I fixed it. And it was amazing. But see, that's what God does. Because if there had been two people with biblical fiction, I think the other person would have gotten it because (laughs) it was a mess. So I, I really, all of that to say. That's why I was shocked when I got a Christie Award because that's where I started. <laughs> and the Lord takes me back to that. Every single time I sit down to, to start a new project, um, I know without a shadow of a doubt that it's Him. Mm-hmm. And so when anybody says to me, oh, I love your writing, I can honestly with every, everything inside of me screams it really is not me it is really a hundred and twelve percent oh jesus because mm-hmm. man mm-mm. I, I i don't know any of it it's it's him i'm i'm very thankful that he uh that his holy spirit does good things through my keyboard <laughs> right <laughs> so yeah it's right. not false humi- humility. It's really desperation at this point. <laughs> so there it is. Yeah, there's the truth.
0: Right. Wow. W- one of the things I wanted to ask you is what you hope people will get from this story about Meshulamith and Zeba. I'm afraid to say her whole name.
1: <laughs> what do you, <laughs> what do you okay. hope people will get out of this book? You know, um, what I hope people will get. I've, i I believe that Manasseh, King Manasseh, is I, I think he's the best uh prodigal story in scripture. I I think he is absolutely heinous. Uh he's awful.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: And God has to go so far to get him, but he does. Right. And I think Zeba wants to give up on him. And as a mom, um, with adult children, there have been times, uh, that I, I wanted to give up on my kids. Mm. Um, but, but the Lord gave me in the midst of that, something to hold on to. And he gave that to Zeba, And, um, I think that Mm. is, I think for anybody that has someone in their lives that, they want to give up on, I I think don't give up because, um, the Lord can reach into the slimiest pit. Um, and I know because he did that with me, I I was, I was Manasseh, not quite Manasseh. Um, but I, I mean, I was in a pretty slimy pit. Mm. Uh, and so I, I know what God can do. So I think that's I think that is the biggest, biggest lesson for me. Um, the other one, I think I have never experienced, um, anything like what I experienced writing this book. Um, the last, the last, uh, few chapters, uh, there's a scene toward the end, um, that while i was writing it i i literally put my computer aside and and was on my face weeping before mm. the lord and um it's a it's a scene where this character thought they had given themselves to the lord and yet they realized they were still bound with chains, mm-hmm. and and because of that scene, um, when we released um, Isaiah's Legacy, our our little um, you know quippy quippy marketing phrase you got to have one of those on release day you know, our right. so our our phrase was live unchained. And, um, so I've, I've got masks, you know, for COVID now that, uh, they have the phrase live unchained and they have, we were trying to find a graphic that, that depicted that and my assistant, she's so cute. She's like, chains are ugly. I cannot find a pretty chain and women want pretty chains (laughs) and I can't find a, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and I'm like, well, okay, I keep looking. So she went over to her friend's house for coffee and there was this cross laying on the friend's coffee table and it had been welded in the shape of a cross, but it was, it was chain links that had been broken. Oh, wow. Wow and then welded in the shape of a cross. And it's quite an image. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. And so she took a quick picture of it and, and she said, I found our image. And so this guy that welds these crosses together, um, he sent me a small cross and a big cross and, um, have you heard the song Zach Williams Chain Breaker? Yes. So he he his cousins went to high school with Zach Williams. And oh. um he so this guy makes these chain breaker crosses.
0: Oh wow.
1: And so he he gave me permission to use a graphic of these chain breaker crosses with our um with our release of Isaiah's legacy, oh, and and so now I have them on my little COVID masks that I mm-hmm. have in my in my little shop, and um, I, I love it. That's that's what Isaiah's legacy is to me. It's a it's a chain breaking story yes. um, because it, yeah, our God. No matter how bad things get, no matter how bad things seem, um, it. it the smallest spark looks the brightest in the darkest night i mean it's he's a chain breaker so i love that right. yeah
0: yeah that's wonderful um yeah. and the fact that the path that that character was following she thought that was freedom but uh-huh. she discovered that that it was a path of chains and yeah and following yahweh was the true True freedom, freedom. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. How do you think learning about the characters and the stories in history, and in the in the Bible, which is part of history, mm-hmm. um, how does that help us approach life in the present? And I think some of that came out in in what you've talked about already. But do you do you have any more to add? Or
1: yeah, put yeah, it sure. Um, you know, one thing we haven't talked about. And that I just want to touch on a little bit um, is we when I started thinking about okay, how can the son of two such righteous, righteous people go so terribly, terribly wrong? Uh mm-hmm. how could King Manasseh just absolutely go off the rails in such a short time? And yes, he was sat on the throne when he was 12. And okay, so maybe he was very easily led astray, and I began kind of trying to think how could how could that have happened though, because he wouldn't have his mom and dad surrounded him with godly people, well, of course they would have you know, mm-hmm. um, and so how could this twelve year old been so quickly led astray? That was the that was the sticking point for me. And as I began doing more research, um, the thing that stuck out to me also in scripture was Manasseh worshiped the starry hosts. Now, Hmm. Baal was the one that most of the Kings before him kind of got off track with, but starry hosts was something very different um, in the pagan world. And it, it, related to Babylon more so or Assyria more so mm-hmm. than, um, Baal was more so, uh, Phoenicia and Canaanite. And so that also started taking me down a different road. And then I came across this, um, little tidbit that said Manasseh could recite the law Leviticus, um, Specifically, uh, is what it meant in fifty-five different ways, and that blew my mind. I can't even remember the Ten Commandments, so right. I, you know, to the whole book of Leviticus in fifty-five different ways. Well, first of all, what does that mean? But second of all, how in the world, what kind of a mind would it take to be able to do such a thing? Mm-hmm. And so. As I began pondering all of those things and pulling them all together, the thing that kind of came to mind was, I wonder if he was a savant. And then I began thinking, what about autism? Maybe, mm-hmm. um, maybe that is part of what was happening there with him. And how would that have manifest in the ancient times? How would people have dealt with him in ancient days? but I wanted to be really careful that I didn't say, okay, we've got an autistic King who is violent because he's autistic. And I want people to make that giant leap because that's not at all, um, right. what this book is about. No. And, um, so I did, I did lots and lots of research and I pulled in, um, moms of adolescent Asperger's boys and mm-hmm. um, talked with them. And I wrote the first 12 chapters, and then I sent those out to these moms and said, okay, what have I got right? What have I got wrong? Um, I also pulled in my sweet, sweet friend, um, Pepper Basham, because um, who also writes historical fiction mm-hmm. and um, because she, in her day job, works with uh, Asperger's teens on mm-hmm. speech therapy, and she's done that for twenty years. And so uh, I talked with her about it and had her read those twelve chapters. And so anyway, um, yeah, lots and lots of sensitivity readers, and and we went through. Okay, what you know? How would Manasseh if he had Asperger's? How would he reacted at age 12 to his father's death, to this girl, to, you know, what would it have looked like? And so um, pulling in a modern day issue to an ancient culture, first of all, I wanted to be really cautious in doing that because ancient cultures are ancient cultures. They're not 21st century America, Western culture, you know? Um, So it's, it's incredibly different. Um, And how are we going to be able to relate to that? And can we even, you know, can today's readers even relate to that? But I feel like, and I hope, and and I've gotten some feedback on reviews from, um, from folks who, have adults Asperger's and, um, and they have given for the most part, pretty positive feedback to me on how realistic it is. And, Mm -hmm. and also the fact that it, it's clear that I'm not saying that it's that the violence is because of Asperger's the violence is because of sin. Yes. I think that's something else that, I feel like we can learn as we read this book um, about biblical characters. They dealt with, I believe, most of the things that we're dealing with today. They may not have called it what we call it. They may not have diagnosed the things that we put labels on, but I think their society felt many of the things we feel and endured the things we endure and, um,
0: right. They're still human.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Right. Okay. Um, well, that's, this is great. This was a great conversation. Um, where can listeners buy Isaiah's legacy and where can they find you online? What's the best way to follow you?
1: You can find it on my website at misuandrews.com that's m e s u andrews.com um there's a page for each one of my books and mm-hmm. on that page you can hit buy now and it'll come up with a lot of the online retailers since we're fighting this covid thing um right. but you can also have any Barnes and Noble order it or your local bookstore um, they can order it mm-hmm. um, yeah, so you can do that and support the brick and mortars too. Right. And are you um
0: do you have a presence on social media? What's the best? I do. One?
1: Yeah, I'm on um, Pinterest and Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and um mm-hmm. I I hang out on I don't do Pinterest as much as I should, but each of the books has a Pinterest board and oh, so cool. if you want to kind of go play on Pinterest and look at some of the research I've done. Um, Mm -hmm. That's kind of a fun place to, I've got, I've put up some videos about some of the different things. And um, so Pinterest boards are kind of a fun, fun place for me to share some of my research too. Yeah.
0: Okay. Thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Yeah. Glad to do it. It's fun to chat with you. Thanks.
0: Thanks so much for listening today, guys. I had a lot of fun talking to Misu, and I hope you enjoyed hearing the conversation. It would be great if you could subscribe to the podcast. And also, if you could leave a star rating and review on iTunes, that would be fantastic. And no matter what um, platform you're listening to this show on, you can always share it with your friends and tell them about it. That would be great too. You can find the show notes at allisontreat.com. That's A-L-I-S-O-N-T-R-E-A-T. Be sure to tune in next week for a conversation with award-winning author, Naomi Mush. Well, friends, keep reading historical fiction, because in the words of Martin Luther King Jr., we are not makers of history, we are made by history.